You are Locked On Hawks, your daily Atlanta Hawks podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Hello, friends. Welcome to episode 1287 of the Locked On Hawks podcast. I am your host, Brad Roland. Coming to you on a Tuesday into Wednesday. And thank you for joining us, as always, on today's podcast. Making us your first listen each and every day. Check us out on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, TuneIn Radio, YouTube, all those places on the podcast space. And I do appreciate everyone listening to the show. If you are watching on YouTube, you probably know this. Or if you're listening right now, you might know this as well. I am not in my remote location at home. I am uh, instead on the road, not necessarily the greatest recording space in the world. But I am here talking about Atlanta Hawks basketball. And if you missed it, Earlier this week, I talked to Glenn Willis of Peachtree Hoops about a lot of different things, and that sort of gets us into what the show is going to be about today. Sort of a news catch-up on some level, a little bit shorter than usual, kind of a solo, uh, you know, news catch-up slash mailbag kind of show. But uh, a lot of that stems from what transpired earlier this week. So shortly after I posted that show with Glenn Willis on Monday, and again we recorded it over the weekend, even before that, I heard that the Hawks were going to waive Sharif Cooper. And that deal then happened. That decision then happened shortly after it was announced, etc. This is a very weird situation, and it's not one that makes a ton of sense unless you were actually play, paying close attention to what's going on in the free agent slash contract NBA world. So I'm going to explain to the best of my abilities what happened here. But long story short, the Hawks have decided to move on from, from Shree Cooper. And I will say, I did mention this is a possibility on the show with Glenn that we recorded over the weekend. I wasn't sure it was going to happen by any means, but um, yeah, it was at least possible. And the Hawks have moved on from Sharif. He's been waived. The Hawks now have an open two-way slot. That's sort of another the other headline here on the Hawks side. And then Cooper, if you are a Hawks fan that's also a Sharif Cooper fan, which I'm sure there are a lot of them because he's a local product, etc. He's now a free agent that's able to sign anywhere he wants in the NBA world. So as far as all the weirdness is concerned, I'll go back to the beginning on this and kind of take you through what the entire timeline is and how this transpired and why it transpired in the way that it did. So earlier in the summer, the Hawks had to decide on a lot of different things, whether it be, you know, qualifying offers for guys like Kevin Knox, where they didn't offer one, um, et cetera. Um, they had to decide whether to give Sharif Cooper a qualifying offer after he finished the season on a two-way contract last year as a rookie. So, they did choose to do so, and it would have been shocking to me if they did not at least make him a qualifying offer at that point in time. Because he was on a two-way all year last year, all the Hawks had to do to make him a restricted free agent was to offer him another two-way. Basically, the qualifying offer for a two-way contract is another two-way contract. So long story short, there's not a lot of risk there really at all. And uh, given that he is a player that has some demand around the league, even uh, dating back a few months from now and especially a few years from now, um, not, not exactly a surprising outcome. It was kind of assumed by everyone, including me, that the Hawks were at least going to tender him that qualifying offer at that point. And once they did that, Cooper became a restricted free agent rather than he was a guy who could just leave, leave on his own. In contrast, Skylar Mays, who had been promoted to the, regular, to the regular club at the end of last year, the Hawks did not tender him a qualifying offer, nor did they do so with Kevin Knox, etc. So fast forward to July, and the Hawks and Cooper had not agreed on a contract beyond the qualifying offer that was already presented to him. So he, he went into Summer League in Las Vegas as a restricted free agent. He was still under team control, but not on a contract at that point in time, which I try to stress throughout that process. As I clevered, went then with Glenn Willis and Wes Morton, Grand Chapel, Robbie Callen, etc., both in Las Vegas and after that, Cooper was pretty bad 
in Las Vegas on the court. The numbers were really bad. I'm not going to go through them all again if you missed it on Monday's show. Um, but Cooper had really bad counting numbers, really bad efficiency numbers. Defensively, he's always been kind of a problem. So needless to say, he did not perform up to expectations in Las Vegas. So what I understand is that that performance played at least a part. I'm not telling you that's all of it or that it's none of it. It is at least a part of the decision to waive him at this point because obviously he did not look good, really, even by any standards. And the way that I put it with Wes, I believe it was a couple of weeks ago, is that if you did not know Sharif Cooper was supposed to be a prospect, you never watched him play, you would not have thought he was a prospect at Summer League. That's how rough it was for most of the way in Las Vegas. So at any rate, there is a CBA rule that basically states that um, once a qualifying offer is presented by the team, it cannot be unilaterally revoked by the team. So basically the Hawks cannot take that qualifying offer back unless Cooper agrees to have it pulled back. That was not an option for the Hawks. And that's a key part in this. The Hawks could not just pull that qualifying offer once it was given to him. And that was more than a month between when it was actually presented to him and now. So the only way it could be pulled back is if Cooper said, uh, also said so, that was not going to happen. So long story short, Cooper and his agent elected at the end of last week to sign that two-way qualifying offer with the Hawks um, because it was still on the table, because again, the Hawks could not pull it back on their own. It would not surprise me at all if Cooper already knew that the Hawks were going to waive him, even then. But there is a financial incentive for Cooper to sign that, that qualifying offer for a two-way contract because it guaranteed him $50,000 in real money. Now, that's not huge NBA money by any means, but if your options were to sign a piece of paper for fifty grand or not have that option, you would take that option. So that's what part of this was. I'm not 100% sure on this. I've heard different things on this behind the scenes, just to be candid. But I think that it's at least possible that Cooper knew when he signed that qualifying offer that the Hawks were going to waive him. And the Hawks might have even told him that. I'm not sure exactly. But no matter what, there was still incentive for him to go ahead and sign that. So he went ahead and did that. Once that happened, Cooper signed the deal. The Hawks basically had to decide over a couple of days whether they were actually going to keep Cooper on that two-way deal or whether they would rather have the open two-way slot, knowing that they had to pay Cooper 50 grand if they waived him. Basically, the decision was they chose to have that open slot rather than to keep Cooper. Um, so they basically waived him at that point in time. Now, a couple things. Crucially, this does not affect the Hawks' salary cap or luxury tax situation at all. That makes the decision a little bit easier for the Hawks if they didn't want Cooper, because while he does make some money in real live dollars, that's not a cap penalty for the Hawks because two ways do not count against the cap or the tax. This is similar in some ways to like, the kerfuffles about the Hawks selling draft picks where that does not affect them at all salary cap wise. It does affect the bottom line in terms of Tony wrestlers pockets, but this is a situation where it goes the other way. Cooper gets his money no matter what here, but it does not impact the Hawks as far as a cap or tax penalty. So basically though, there was a point along the way. I'm not sure where that point was between late June and late July in which the Hawks decided that they'd rather have an open spot on their roster on, on a two way than to have Shreve Cooper on that contract. I'm not at all shocked by that based on Summer League and the way he played. Uh, there are numerous factors in play, but with the depth challenges that we've been talking about on the show for a while, the Hawks might want someone that can play a little bit more at the NBA level this year than Cooper. Um, I said this a lot last year. I'm not, I'm not trying to pile on. I've always liked Sharif. I love that draft pick when it happened. He fell a long way. I had him rated a lot higher than that. But last year we said this as well. He was not really equipped to help them at all last year. I know there were people calling for him to play over Lou and even DeLon at times last year. That was not ever going to happen, nor should it have happened. Long story short, though, um, they probably want somebody on the roster that can probably help them, probably help them more now in an NBA game than Cooper could, especially because some of the theoretical long-term upside of Cooper as a guy who, has, again, has some, has some real still for me, has some real high ceiling. That was always capped a little bit in Atlanta because they already had Trey Young 
on the roster. And also, again, like he just didn't look good in Vegas at all. And I would always say don't overreact to that very small sample size. It does matter. It's an NBA sample, at least on some level, and he did not play well in that setting. So we'll get into the roster later on in the show. But before we do that, I'll just say this. I'll be rooting for Sharif to find a landing spot wherever he goes. I think he still has potential as an NBA player. Honestly, there's still a lot like in his skill set. The passing has always been a really intriguing thing. He needs to have more of the juice that he had off the bounce previously. Uh, he, he did not really have that in summer league at all. If he doesn't have that, he's going to have a lot of trouble because he's still very small. But if, if he can sort of recapture that boost off the dribble and also his passing ability, there's still an NBA player in there in my mind. Um, and honestly, he played very well at times in the G League last year, which again is a pretty high level of play in some respects. So he can form a career somewhere else. I'm rooting for that to happen. I've always liked Sharif, so that'll, I'll just say that out loud. But hopefully that sort of detailed rundown blow by blow tells you kind of why this happened and how it happened for the Hawks. I know it was very weird for Hawks fans to see the Hawks announcing the waiver of a player that they quote unquote just signed to a two-way contract. But if you go behind the scenes and realize that they have really had no choice once the qualifying offer was presented and that was more than five weeks ago, five, six weeks ago at this point in time, it made more sense on all sides. If you realize that the Hawks couldn't pull it back, but they didn't want them anymore. And essentially Cooper gets some money. The Hawks get to move on, open the roster spot up. And that is the end of that. Okay. Last thing before we get the rest of the show, I will just say this. If you saw the Cooper news and breeze past the podcast yesterday, I don't blame you necessarily, but um, I would just say, I recommend that podcast still being pretty relevant. Only like five minutes of the hour show are like totally out of date at this point in time. Um, we talked about Sharif for a while, but a lot, most of that stuff is like just about his game. So if you're look, interested in following him in his next stop, that's relevant. And also there's some really good discussion on that show with Glenn and I about AJ Griffin and Tyrese Martin, Sean D. Brown, and much more context stuff from Glenn that you'll definitely want to hear. So go ahead and download that podcast. Check it out. It's not totally irrelevant. There's a little bit of it that's sort of out, date of now, out of date now with Sharif moving on, but it is still definitely in the mix. Okay. With all that said, I will get into the roster reset and a couple more things later on in the podcast. But first, it worked from our friends at BetOnline. And BetOnline.net is the fastest and easiest way to check out all of your sports betting needs at this point in time. Find all of your favorite sports and events at the number one online source for odds, lines, and games with a ton of future-facing action on the site. With football on the horizon, it's, of course, always the number one thing in the sports betting industry, really, is football. And uh, that's fast approaching. NBA future odds, definitely firmly in play at this point. Conference title, uh, NBA title, award odds, etc. That's all available at BetOnline. Find reviews and news of every league, including MLB, NFL, NBA, NHL, combat sports. They have esports. They have soccer, golf, tennis, auto racing, horse racing, all college sports, of course. They have rugby, entertainment bets, and much more. And BetOnline also has the top online resources for your sports wagering information from live in-game betting scores and podcasts. And they have stuff across the board beyond sports like casino games, poker, and other ways to get on the action today. Always a good spot at BetOnline. Head to BetOnline right now or use your mobile device to learn more about all the action across the sports world that is happening today. BetOnline, where the game starts. All right. And uh, next on the show will be sort of a quick rundown of where the roster is right now for the Hawks. People are asking me sort of where this, where this leaves the Hawks without Sharif, et cetera. They now have one full roster spot available. They only have 14 guys under contract. They also have one two-way slot available. In the backcourt, they have Trey Young, DeJounte Murray, and Aaron Holiday as pure guards. And then on the wings, they have Bogdanovich, they have DeAndre Hunter, they have Justin Holiday, AJ Griffin, and Tyrese Martin. At the four spot, they have John Collins and Jalen Johnson. They have a couple of combo forwards and Mo Harkless and Shondi Brown on the two-way, of course. And then at center, they have Capella, Akongwu, and Frank Kaminsky on a one-year deal. I do expect people people to ask this question, the Hawks, to fill that two-way slot. It'd be pretty bad if they didn't, honestly, because there's no cap penalty. I would not be surprised at all if the Hawks do not have a 15th player on the roster for money reasons. But two ways, there is no excuse not to have a two-way contract. So sign somebody to that deal. 
Um, in a vacuum, I would probably prefer a point guard or or a wing that could shoot. That's kind of their two spots that they could probably use some more shooting on the perimeter. They could probably use another point guard option. I know Glenn Willis has been fond of saying this uh, in recent past. I definitely I tend to agree with him. If you had an injury to either Trey Young or DeJounte Murray, the Hawks don't have a lot of ball handling creation. Aaron Holiday is a backup point guard, but he's more of an off guard on offense. Um, so I think that ideally you would, if you had a multi-week injury to one of those, you know, the big two of guards, you probably want another ball handler. And uh, while Cooper wasn't going to be able to provide that, I don't think they probably want somebody else that can run a pick and roll and handle the ball a little bit potentially on that slot or a, another shooter on the wing right at a forward spot would be what I would say. Uh, obviously, I'm not going to get on all of the options right now. Most guys are signed that are available to that. And by the way, two-way contracts have a uh, experience ceiling. You cannot have be, cannot be playing more than three or four years in the NBA to actually sign a two-way contract. So it's, it's going to be a young guy no matter what. We'll see what happens there on that front. Um, as far as the cap and tax are concerned. Uh, the Hawks now have 14 guys under contract, of course, plus Shawnee Brown on the two-way, and they are $1.2 million over the tax line right now. One of the reasons why the Hawks would want to be under the tax is not just to avoid paying the tax, but also teams get a bunch of money from revenue sharing if they stay under the tax, which is actually brought to the forefront this week. Jake Fisher, front of the podcast, reported on Tuesday that 23 teams in the league stayed under the tax last year. That's about three-quarters of the league uh, or so. And each of them got almost $10.5 million extra revenue sharing money for staying under the tax. One more time, $10.5 million plus is what they got. Now, uh, basically that's because the Warriors and the Clippers in particular spent a ton of money and the Nets as well um, over the tax. But that's going to happen again next year. So if you are anywhere close to the tax, it is so incredibly beneficial financially to get under the tax. And we've seen from this ownership group in, in the past that they are open to that kind of thing when it comes to selling draft picks or whatever else. They want to have that cash on hand. Um, $10 million is $10 million is the way I'll say. I'm not saying that I should be rooting for this or that you should be rooting for this, et cetera. But practically speaking, all of what I've said in the past still applies. I think the Hawks are going to get under the tax this year. Is it a lock? No. But if I had to guess, they'll, they'll, they'll find a way under at some point in time. And again, there are $1.2 million over the tax line right now. There are some roster penalties. You can't just cut one guy with nothing else coming back. You have to have at least 14 players on the roster. But um, Worst comes to worst, I think the Hawks are going to be under the tax, if I had to guess, by the end of the season. I did mention the other day that there are some incentives in play, though, for, for the Hawks roster this year. And people kind of asked me what I meant by that. So I'm actually going to expand on that a little bit more on this show now. Um, there are two players that are actually prominent players that have considerable incentives in their contracts for the Hawks that could impact the Hawks from a tax standpoint this year. That $1.2 million over the tax line that I, I just, that I just quoted does not include these incentives. So if these guys actually hit all of them, which is not likely to happen as we'll get into in a second, the Hawks would be like more than $4 million over the tax. Keep that all in mind. But DeJounte Murray and Clint Capella are the two players that have real incentives in their deals. Murray has $1.5 million in incentives that are considered unlikely at this point in time as are Capella's. That's why they're not counted in the projection is because they're not considered to be likely, quote-unquote, incentives. That's actually a formal term by the league and the way that this stuff is graded out. But Murray um, has $1.5 million in incentives beyond his guaranteed salary, about $16.5 million for this year. Um, $500,000 of that is if he posts a true shooting percentage of 58% or higher for the full season. $500,000 of that is making at least 125 threes next season. And then $500,000, the last half million is for making an all de an, an all defensive team this year. So if you want to go like into how likely these things are, 
he has never come close to the true shooting mark. His career high is 53.3%. So that's almost five percentage points below the number. Not impossible. That's a very, very large leap to make to have him actually get there. Um, He's never made more than 96 threes in a season, uh, 125 being the barometer. That's not a huge number, and I think he might shoot more threes this year, but still he's never come particularly close to actually reaching that one. He did make, though, an all-defense team back in 2017-2018. That's at least possible. It's still considered to be unlikely. He didn't do it last year, but that's part of the reason there. The other guy, as I mentioned before, is Clay Capella. He has $2 million in incentives over his $18.2 million in guaranteed salary. The big one for Capella is $1 million for making the conference finals, but he has to play at least 2,000 minutes. So you might remember the Hawks did that two years ago, but 2,000 minutes is also not a small number for any player to reach. Uh, Then a half million for a 30% defensive rebound rate, but also he must play 2,000 minutes along the way in that one. And the last half million dollars is shooting 65% at the free throw line, but he has to take at least 150 free throws over the course of the season to actually qualify for that. So you can't just like take five, make, uh, make four of them, and actually qualify. So projection-wise there, um, he did make that million dollars extra when the Hawks made a conference finals two years ago. Um, obviously, it's not likely to happen necessarily, but I think it's definitely possible for that to happen. Uh, he has reached the 30% threshold defensive rebound rate in four of the last five seasons, and he's actually made the combination of the rebound rate and the minutes in two of the last five seasons. That, that was probably the most likely one of all that, to actually be reached of these two guys. And then uh, Capella's career high is about 63, 63%, 63% from the free throw line. So that's uh, not quite likely, let's just say. Last three years, 53% on average for Capella. So that's a pretty high number for him to actually reach. Um, I would say just roughly in terms of likelihood, that rebounding one is the most likely by far for these guys to happen. Capella, again, 30% defensive rebound rate, 2,000 minutes. That is the clear number one most likely of these six to be actually be reached. Then I think um, – Two through five are pretty close together in some order. Uh, Murray making the threes, Murray making all, all defense, uh, the Hawks making the conference finals, and Murray shooting 58% from true shooting are all pretty close to the same likelihood. They're all less than 50%, I would say, to actually happen, but all definitely plausible to happen. And the least likely, in my opinion, is the Capella free throw shooting one. Um, he just has no indication of him, of him being ready to do that. That's a large jump. So there you go on all that, but that's, that's kind of the latest on that front. Again, um, even if you say one of these guys makes one of these or maybe two of them, it's only about a million dollars. And I think the Hawks are going to be uh, doing their best to stay abreast of that. They have the until the end of the season to clear all the space necessary to get over the tax. But Mo Harkless is a guy to circle for sure. And we'll see if they have another cost cutting move in them in the future. But all of that's sort of nerdy, but it does matter because the Hawks, I think, clearly do want to stay under the tax if they can actually manage that. And that is the latest on that front. Okay, more to come in a second. But first, a word from our sponsors. All right, and uh, lastly on the show today, I got like 10 or 15 questions on the same thing about a uh, pretty similar wording about a trade rumor, and I use that very loosely in giant quotation marks, trade rumor, quote, 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 um, after I shared a Sham Sarani report on Monday. So I will address that now before we get out of here on today's podcast. So earlier this week on Monday, Shams wrote and, and sort of discussed uh, some trade stuff about Jalen Brown and the Brooklyn Nets and Kevin Durant, et cetera. Um, and by the way, our friends at Ben Online did put the Hawks on the board on their latest Kevin Durant future odds if he does not return to Brooklyn. Um, not likely necessarily. In fact, they have the Hawks at plus 1,600 to land Kevin Durant if he does not return to Brooklyn. Uh, that's not high enough for me. I think it's at least like non-zero that that would possibly happen, but certainly not uh, good enough odds to make that bet if I was me. Anyway, later in the piece, Shams includes stuff about Donovan Mitchell and discussions between the Jazz and the Knicks and slipped a Hawks mention in that kind of caught everybody off guard, including myself. So, The wording is as follows, and I quote, 
Along with New York, several other teams have expressed interest to the Jazz when it comes to Donovan Mitchell, such as Washington, Miami, Toronto, Charlotte, Sacramento, and Atlanta, according to sources. End quote. So, as a top-line thought, I would be stunned if the Hawks trade for Mitchell at this point in time. Now, if the order was different and Mitchell was available before the Murray trade, I wouldn't have been, I've been hugely surprised. I think that I've said before, I don't love the fit of Trey Young and Donovan Mitchell together in the backcourt, but I think that it was at least plausible. I'm sure they at least talked at some point, and that would not have surprised me at all. At this point, there is not a deal that I can possibly see that makes sense for both sides that would include Mitchell going to Atlanta. I know everybody wants stars, but there's really no possible universe where you have a team that has Trey Young, Donovan Mitchell, and DeJounte Murray on the same roster, especially making the money that they're making defensively, size, only one ball to pass around, et cetera. Um, after talking to some people about this, I think what probably happened here, and I want to say probably, I'm not reporting this, is that the Hawks maybe checked on Mitchell before the Murray trade, and that is why they're being included here as a team that's at least called on Murray in the past. Um, so I guess in theory, maybe the Hawks could move, move Murray to Utah, but I can't imagine that actually happening. I think this is probably just old old information. And this happens sometimes. Sometimes, sometimes a, a list of teams will be included on a trade when – um, those discussions haven't happened in weeks or even months sometimes. And it hasn't been that long since the Hawks traded for Murray. So if that was, you know, four weeks ago, five weeks ago, and the Hawks talked to them about Mitchell right before that, it wouldn't be the most surprising thing in the world. So anyway, that's what I'm attributing it to at this point in time. I don't see a deal that makes any sense at all to bring Donovan Mitchell now to the Hawks, but that sort of answers that question. Last thing though, I think because Jalen Brown was in the headline of that story and um, Hawks fans started asking me again about the Hawks and Jalen Brown and posting the photoshops. And I get all that. Uh, Jalen is from Atlanta or at least the area. And he is of course the two way wing that everybody in the league wants. So naturally the Hawks would love to have Jalen Brown on their roster. I'm not reporting that, but I'm sure just naturally speaking, he is a really good player on a good contract and he's also really good. Um, at the same time, Jalen Brown being rumored in discussions for Kevin Durant Yes, Kevin Durant does not mean he's actually available in trade talks. Boston is one of the favorites in the league in the betting market or whatever to be a title team this year. And they are not just dealing Jalen Brown to deal Jalen Brown. Uh, if, if Kevin Durant's available, that's Kevin Durant, a top 15 player of all time, probably something like that. Um, you have to go ahead and make that call. But that does not mean that Jalen Brown is like practically available. I talked about this a lot over the course of the summer already, but there are always tiers of availability for the Hawks. Trey is unavailable, basically. Um, beyond that, there are tiers. You know, DeAndre Hunter and Okongwu were the guys I said were sort of in the least likely to be traded tier, uh, followed by Collins and whoever else. But guys are available for players that are better than them, basically. On the way that guys on that level of Jalen Brown, who's not going to be actually available. But if you're, let's say, uh, let's just take it out, out of Durant, if the Bucks were to, say, offer Giannis for Jalen Brown, the Boston Celtics are going to trade Jalen Brown for Giannis. That's an example. It's obviously an extreme example of this, but even guys who are not available become available if the player ahead of them is offered. <laughs> but alas, there you go. Anyway, I think that uh, Jalen Brown to Atlanta is a lot of fun to think about. And I think maybe in the future, he might try to push his way to Atlanta at some point in time. That wouldn't stun me. He again is from here. The Hawks will have uh, some interest if they're, especially if they're winning in the near future. But I think right now I can't imagine the Celtics trading Jalen Brown for anything short of Kevin Durant, to be honest with you. Uh, especially because of how good they are right now and all that stuff. So that's the latest of what I have and uh, all of what I got today on the podcast. Okay, hopefully that sort of wraps up the questions that everybody had. Uh, I do have some more mailbag questions filed away for the future. I have some stuff on Seth Partnow's tiers that we'll hit on. I have over-under stuff that we'll hit on in the future. Um, 
DeAndre Hunter extension talk in the future. Um, some more with some more on Jante Murray from some Spurs folks, etc. So please stay tuned for all of that. Please subscribe to this podcast across platforms. Uh, YouTube is an easy one to go ahead and click the uh, subscribe button on, as well as Apple and Spotify and Stitcher, uh, TuneIn Radio, Odyssey, uh, Podbean, all those places. Please follow the show on Twitter at Lots on Hawks. Follow me on Twitter at BT Roland. Tell a friend about the podcast, and we'll see you next time.